Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. And this is episode 33 of the Great Expectations Podcast. For you new listeners, this is a podcast where we, and sometimes a guest, come on and talk about our favorite X-Men stories of all time. We don't have a guest today, it's just Sean and I. This is how we like it. Yeah. I mean, I like the guest, but man, when we get our alone time, magic. It is magic. We eat food, we complain about stuff. And then we record some podcasts. Yeah, and but we always maintain positivity when we're recording. Totally. But if you heard the stuff we talked about 20 minutes ago, <laughs> you'd be blushing. That's a completely different podcast that's a paying service, and it's too expensive for you. Sorry. You're but, stuck with this. And this is No Edits, Volume 2. No Edits! No Edits! It's because we're short on time. That's right. So, people... Previously on the New Mutants. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit this in. You are. That's an edit. Previously on X-Men. Last time we talked, we talked about New Mutants number 7 through 10. And in those issues, the New Mutants went to Brazil to visit Bobby's family. And they went on a trip down the Amazon to Nova... Roma. Yes. Oh my god, the other day when I was putting everything in Mylars, I got up to later X Factor when Peter David was writing it, and there was a thing I wanted to show you, because um, Rain like makes a one-off comment about Nova Roma. Her and Alex are doing like a Wayne's World spoof video, and they talk <laughs> about Nova Roma. But then, the very next issue, look at the title! Great yes! Expectations, motherfucker. Yes! Every time I google the damn name, that's what comes up first. Yeah, but there's uh, there's Rain talking about Nova Roma. Oh, man, she's looking good. She's not looking good. Who drew that show? Uh, I believe that would have been Larry Stroman, maybe? Oh, Larry Stroman, was, Detroit guy. Yeah. 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 What's up, Detroit? We know you're out there. So, Nova Roma. Nova Roma. Not a place so, I'd want to hang out. It turns out this is an ancient Roman society that left... Rome, way back when, in the B.C. slash A.D. era. <laughs> I don't remember when. But they're pretty much still primitive Romans. And um, while they're there, they meet Amara, Juliana, Olivia, Aquila, Akia. I don't know how you say it. Aquila. But Aquila. I don't know. But she's... Let's just call her Amara. She's a young, teenage, now. blonde girl who's... Uh, had dressed as a native um, American, South American woman, and oh, man, you just fell in the water. I'm trying to explain this, so it's not Dude, bad. You just backed yourself into an edit. I'm not editing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's awkward. That's all you need to know. But it turns out, as we're going to find out in these next couple issues, she's a little more special than just being an ancient Roman. There you go. Yeah. So, issue 11 of The New Mutants. X-Men. 
Assistant Editors Month. <laughs> issue 11 is titled Magma. That's a funny name for an issue, Sean. <clears throat> and this is uh, written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Sal Buscema and inks by Tom Mandrake. You did. Uh, you managed to leave out the part about at the very end of New Mutants issue number 10. Oh, yeah, I guess I should have mentioned that. Celine kind of throws magma into the volcano, hoping to make herself look younger. Right. This is why yeah. I have no younger siblings, because I've tossed them all into volcanoes to keep myself looking pretty for our favorite guest, Alan White. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's a fan of 80s X-Men is familiar with Celine. Anyone who's a fan of modern X-Men and Red Necrotia is also familiar with Celine. It's true. She's pretty much a vampire that sucks people's life essence. In the beginning here, she does it by throwing them in a volcano. She's already thrown one poor, innocent, virginal teenager into the volcano. And now it's Amara's turn. But it doesn't turn out the way Celine expected. She comes erupting out of the volcano in a very familiar form to anyone who's a fan of the New Mutants. She's got this yellow, red, swirly, magma-looking body now. And it's totes cool, Sean. Yep. So her and Celine start going at it. They're fighting. Come Sorry. on. Whoa. This is just a comic book. It's not my dream book. <laughs> no heads. None. <laughs> they start fighting. Yes. And Celine, to get a little bit younger... Pushes out the rocks in the walls. Pretty cool sequence. Knocking all her loyal priests into the volcano. Therefore making her younger. Right, because she's very powerful. But as she expends energy fighting, she ages faster. So she... Yeah. True. I posted this on our Facebook page. Nice. And Or not on our Facebook. I'm sorry, on our Tumblr. Which you can find at greatexpectations.com. Greatx-expectations.com. And, uh, yeah, so she does in her own flunkies. That's how little fucks she gives about yeah. anything. I would not sign up to be a bad guy's flunky. It's You're a just bad asking idea. For it. Yeah. I've been marathoning, uh, uh, no edits. Never mind. <laughs> 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 the things you guys miss like, out on when we on. <laughs> You guys just, what you miss since you're not in the room is Jerry's eyes going dead the second I started to derail him. He was like, well, what the fuck are you doing, Sean? <laughs> Don't do it! So, let's see. Oh, see, we're going to have to edit all of this now. Um, so, this is where it gets a little weird for me because um, Danielle Moonstar, also known as Psyche, in these early days of the New Mutants, is also there. And for some reason, Celine has decided that Danny is going to be, like, her sidekick. She's going to have this evil sidekick, which doesn't sound like a good job considering she just threw all of her followers right? into a magma pit. <laughs> but um, she's like, Danny, here, I'm, I just sucked in all this life force. Have a taste of it. And Danny has, like, this strange orgasmic experience that is creepy and weird. She's already in the chainmail bikini, so... There's nothing creepy and weird about orgasms. Um, well, teenagers do have them. But... No edits! You trapped me! (laughs) 
children, it's a safe and normal thing, and everybody does it. Not usually at the expense of other people's Not lives. Not Jerry's wife. Oh. <laughs> no, that is. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, though. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been amazing if she had said that from down the hall. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> if you could drop in and head it of Back in Time by Huey Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So, um, Danny resists Celine's um, attempts to draw Seducer her Seducer to the dark side? Yes. Thank you, Sean. That's exactly what it is. And she kind of runs off, and she kind of falls at the feet of Magma. And she's like, oh, Amara, hi. And Amara's freaking out. Right. Because she's like, what is going on? Yeah, she was not a volcanic person two minutes ago. Right. She was not. She had no idea she was a mutant. And uh, the idea that she is now, she doesn't even know what they are. And, and it's kind of bothering her. But not for long. Because she's got these powerful new powers. But... Celine just sucks the life right out of her, minus the magma pit. She just right. does it while she's standing there, and Amara's eyes go white, and she drops dead right in front of Danny. What's that all about? It's tough. It's not good. I mean, I was starting to like this Amara chick. Really? I was. I still, to this point, have not uh, grown fond of her. Well. She's cutting into my Rain Sinclair and Danny Moonstar time. Yes. I mean, there there is... We finally got rid of karma. Aww. Everybody's all sad about it, but I'm like, good riddance, that power. Whew. You were against her from the beginning. I was. She had a hard upbringing, Sean. It's not her fault. It's None of it was her fault. Right. Rest in peace. Uh, so... There's this whole political intrigue thing going on in Nova Roma that is completely unnecessary to talk about. All you need to know is that there's a like a first senator who is Amara's dad that is kind of resisting against this guy who wants to be emperor and happens to be the husband of Selene. What Jerry's trying to say is, if George Lucas got his hands on these new mutants issues, all the fun stuff would be removed. Yes. And we just get more Senate stuff. Oh. Hey, I see E.T. Yeah? No. <clears throat> Lucas joke. <laughs> so, we'll skip all that crap. Uh, Bobby knocks one of the guards unconscious. and Because uh, Danny snuck out yes. to see what was going on. She never came back. Bobby wants to know what's going on. Right. And as he's searching for her, he comes upon an open door, and uh, he recognizes the voices, opens up the door a little bit, and it's his own mother chained up, getting, what do you, what would you say, interrogated? Yeah, Sternly a, talked to. Shit, man, I was about to say abused, and then we were going to go down the rabbit hole again. Oh, no. No, she's just standing, uh, abused, you could consider having your arms chained above your head abuse. Sure. Damn you, Castro. Right. This Castro guy is a thorn in my side. Did we mention what Castro does? Who he is? Well, he was on the boat. 
that took him down to the Amazon the first time. Right, and he's secretly been working for the Hellfire Club and Bobby's dad, doing anything and everything that he can to keep them from getting to Nova Roma. Yep. Because Bobby's dad is a developer and he wants to develop the mineral rights on this land. See, this is sounding more like a Star Wars prequel with every minute. It is. <laughs> so then we have uh, Bobby, you know, realizes what's going on, comes in there and basically beats the shit out of uh, Castro. He bitch slaps Castro back to Cuba. Wait, all Castros come from Cuba, right? Am I doing this right? You are, I don't... You're doing this absolutely perfectly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, I don't know. I don't know any of this. So um, they he frees his mom, and they lead an uprising against this Celine's husband jerk. I got to admit, I was a little jealous when I read this. I'm a little disappointed that I'll never get to lead an uprising with my mom. Aww. That would have been sweet. It would have been sweet. Can we start an uprising? Um, right now, let's vow to take down every other X-Men podcast. No edits. No edits. You're all going down. It's okay that the rest of our listeners like all the other podcasts better than us, right? Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. We like us better. I'll edit that out. One edit. So, oh, yes. Um, during this uprising, I don't know, Sean, if you if you noticed this, but um. We've got a new Claremontism developing here. Um, during the fight, Rain gets bonked on the head oh, again. Yeah. <laughs> this is, if we're keeping count, this is, I believe, the third time? Third or fourth. And like, it, the last time it happened, she actually <laughs> she actually ma- makes mention of the fact that she always gets hit on the head. That's one so, of my favorite moments so ever. It's officially a thing now. She gets bonked on the head again. And... Um, there's a sword fight between these two senator dudes, and the fat senator, who's Amara's dad, go fat guys. We yeah. know how to sword fight. Senator, I was when I read this, I was like, Jerry must fucking love this part of the story. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you think just because I'm fat, I can't start some shit, right? So right. Senator Aquila, or Aquila, or Aquila, goes after Marcus Domitius from the previous issues, the guy who's conspired against him, and they get into a pretty sweet duel. And then Senator Aquila just gets him right in the gut, just spears him, does the old bullseye to Electra. You know, you can see the tip poking out of the back. Just the tip, Sean. Yeah. And this it's also kind of reminiscent of when uh, Jason Wingard runs Cyclops through in the Dark Phoenix saga. What? X-Men callback. And then, like, to add insult to injury as he's dying, right? The Senator Aquila looks at him. He says, "You never dreamed of fat old cyber, what Sybarite." Yes, we'll say Sybarite. I can't. Like see me, it. might know how to fight or possess the strength and skill to do it well. Remember that. I w- I only wish that he had said, "This is for all my fat brothers in arms." Is that what you will added it in? Just erase that. This is for all my fat brothers in arms. <laughs> this he said it right there. See. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So the new mutants, as they're trying to escape, have uh, figured out where Celine is, and they're rushing after her. 
And this is where we see Celine unleash some of her serious powers. She seals herself into the magma chamber. And, um... But Rain has rushed in ahead of everybody else, and she's sealed in there with her, right? Yeah. And Celine encases the rest of the New Mutants in rock. Like, she has control over inanimate objects. And, uh... It's a freaky power, and I always hated it in the X-Men issues when she shows up later in the 190s. Spoilers. Well, I mean, I don't know. She's about to die here. Sorry. She could die. She could still die. Yeah, there's something that happens at the end of this issue, Jerry. What? I can't wait to get there. Listen, this podcast is meant to have no knowledge of the future or the past if you're some of our detractors. Yay. (laughs) I love detractors. They're my favorite. Yeah. I think your podcast is a little hissy. <sighs> Whoever that was is dead to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so she, um, Celine seals them in rock, which is dumb because one, magma right. controls rock. Cannonball. Sam blasts out of the rock. And Bobby is super strong. He smashes out of the rock. No harm. No foul. And they get to Celine. They fight Celine and Bobby. Bobby um, is a little more cutthroat than the rest of the team. <laughs> he stabs Celine in the chest. Yep. Not only does he stab her in the chest, man. He Hulk Hogan lifts her over his goddamn head <laughs> and chucks her into a volcano like he's an '80s wrestler. She went over the edge like Rocky went over the turnbuckles. <laughs> Adrian, like... catch me! <laughs> and then Sam's like, you killed her. Xavier told us not to do that. And he's like, it's easy for Xavier to say when he's fucking safe in New York. Yeah, he might as well have said in his wheelchair. <laughs> right? Oh, the disdain in his face. Ah. <sighs> So the fight is over. Yep. The new mutants are victorious. And Amara is left as naked as the day she was born. I do like everyone's shocked face. And then Bobby's, or Sam's kind of got like the, I'm shocked, but I'm not breaking eye contact. (laughs) (laughs) No, I shouldn't. (laughs) Well, she is hiding behind a rock. True. She's a teenager. Bobby at that moment is like, why do I keep on saying Bobby? Sam at that moment is like, I really wish I could get secondary mutation. (laughs) Secondary mutation. Can I see through stone? No. But his wang is nigh invulnerable when blasted. Oh, man. Oh, it's about to be... No edits. (laughs) Is getting edited. Hey, Sean, how come our podcast isn't more popular? Let me tell you about (laughs) Sam Guthrie's dick. (laughs) You think you're going to hear about that on the other X-Men podcasts? (laughs) Because they're smarter than us. No. Uh, No, they're not. They're all thinking it. We We just got the stones to say it. That's right. Because our stones are also nigh invulnerable when blasting. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, Sean, I never mentioned the cover for yeah. issue 11. is a Walt Simonson cover. That's pretty sweet. It is pretty sweet. And I like that cover. 
I wouldn't look at it and say that's a Walt Simonson cover. I would not. But I like it nonetheless. Yeah. That brings us to issue 12, which is a Tom Mandrake cover. The anchor of the book. And this, this, I like that the team finally settles in for a good 10 issues, you know, where you get the same inker and penciler working together. Yeah. That's always good. It always gives the book a good feel. And I, I feel like, um, I know we discussed this off air and I want to mention it, but I like that, um, Mandrake kind of develops a, a little more of a Bob McCloud style with the way that he draws the characters' faces, especially um, Sam and Danny. Yeah. I feel like he draws them a lot more like McCloud did. Gets the ears back. Gets the ears back on Sam, yeah. And Danny's got the more cartoonish eyes. I like them. They're both adorbs. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I mean, the whole thing of, like... Uh, like obviously if you've listened to the previous episodes you understand that like I grew up in the early X-Men 91 you know first issue of X-Force that's when I got in so so this all felt really like oh I don't want to go back and read that kid stuff I want X-Force right. and now I'm like thank Christ I got to go back and read this stuff like fresh eyes like I love these characters yeah anybody who has a problem with the new mutants is going to have to go through me Nobody's going to hear you say that, because everybody's like, oh, New Mutants, I guess I won't download that episode. Jerks. Lame. These books are fun. They are. I don't think they're... You know, they're that thing that the books aren't right now? Fun? Yes. Right. There's a lot of characterization. There is. They care about them as people, not as chess pieces to get their agenda across. And it's weird, because I, I went... Ten years thinking, I wish people would use their powers more. It's all talking and it's all characterization. But this is this is both. You get both in here. Yeah. You know, like you, you get the teenage angst and you get the fights. How did he do that, Claremont? You're a genius. If there's nothing that I love more than teenage angst and fighting. Yes. And not invulnerable. Wangs. <laughs> You were thinking wangs. I was thinking blasting balls, actually. <laughs> X-Men! New Mutants number 12. <laughs> uh, opens up with Emmanuel DaCosta going up to his top floor of his swanky building. For those who have lost track, Emmanuel DaCosta is Bobby's dad. Yep. And he is the... Husband to Bob McCloud's mother. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you want an explanation? Listen to our last episode. Yep. Still available for download. <laughs> yes, it is. For a low, low price of free. This is an epic confrontation. Oh my god. As a teenager, I dreamed of having this confrontation. You know, I was thinking about this. So, Emmanuel walks into his office, his fancy high-rise Jerry had office. this confrontation with his stepmother the other night. Oh, shit, I did. <laughs> Dead to me. <laughs> so, um, sticking to the comic book. <laughs> um, so waiting for him in, an, in his office is his son, Bobby, who's got his feet up on the desk, and he's about to have a showdown with Pops. Pops, why did you try to kill us in the Amazon? Yep. That wasn't cool, Dad. You're not cool, Dad. I used to think you're cool. 
now I don't think you're cool. Right? Tells him he's dead to him, basically. Yeah, it's cool because this is this is like a real argument where the dad and the kid totally just completely talk past each other and they don't listen to a word each right. other says. <laughs> and as a, I remember as a kid reading this shit and being like, yeah, Bobby. And now I'm reading this as a manual. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, someday I'm going to have this discussion you're with this book And you're like, shut up, Finn, shut up. <laughs> You go upstairs and you tell him to go to his room. <laughs> yeah, like, what did I do, Dad? You know what you're going to do in ten years. I'm joining the Hellfire Club. <laughs> Have you seen what those women wear? <laughs> oh, God, but yeah, it freaks me out. And it, and it got me wondering, what's going to be the thing when I'm older it's gonna be the stupid podcast it's why i won't have kids because my kid's gonna come home and he's gonna be like i love batman and i'm gonna be like i don't know who you are there's a bridge go live under it you're no longer allowed in this house that's right that's right I'm serious about my comics that's all right sean I, I, i'm with you man you were supposed to say what's a batman no edits oh i can't edit that in anyway so uh the fight goes badly to the point where Emmanuel threatens to slap him to get him in shape and Bobby powers up and he's like there'll be no more slapping old man yeah. you ever have that moment I never did but did you ever have the moment where like one day you realize like Tuesday I couldn't fight my dad Wednesday <laughs> I could kick his ass <laughs> my dad is 70 years old and I wouldn't want to try it no yeah. way He's a tough old bird. Yeah. My dad's pretty tough. Your dad's a cop. I would not fuck with a cop, man. He knows all those illegal chokeholds and arm bars. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was dirty. Hmm. No, it is. No, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby ends the argument by announcing that he's now half an orphan, which I've done. Oh. Damn, you are so simpatico with Bobby right now. I am. You're both ignoring Danny, going after Rain. Oh my god, I can't wait to get to another part later in another issue here. But the, 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 the worst part, though, is that this confrontation between Bobby and Emmanuel causes Emmanuel to basically call up Sebastian Shaw after he leaves. And he's like, well, another more from here. Guess I'll join the Hellfire Club. Yeah. Which, like, it's cool seeing this snowball effects start because there's so much of Sunspot and his dad in that early X-Force stuff. Yeah, but I honestly I think it's like 10 years before that stuff starts to pay off, really. Right? Yeah, I mean, the 80s, you don't see Bobby's dad doing shit. It's okay, man. But they get there. Yeah. Oh, they get there. They don't have to rush stuff because you knew the books was going to be around. There were no such thing as reboots back in the day because they cared about the stories. Yeah. What's a the reboot? characters. See? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's right. No knowledge of the future. Oh. <laughs> or the present. <laughs> so, um, Amara's father... Wait, wait, wait. Before we get there, oh. just so you know, um, Bobby's mother did warn him, like, if you go and confront your father, like, he needs us to support him. What'll, can you only imagine what will happen to him if we turn our back on him? So Bobby did not want... He's actually beating himself up. That he didn't want the conversation to go the way that it did. 
I kind of got the impression that he did, but and he was surprised because Bobby's mom was like, "Don't be mad at him. This is he's just this way." And he's like, "How can you still love this guy? He just tried to kill you." Yeah. And she's like, "Ah, we just do that. That's no big deal." <laughs> Yikes. So basically, I mean, Bobby is broken up by the fact that this is, it's not like he's like, yeah, I'm never going to see my dad again. Like he's Obviously, like, Bobby's been through some shit. He is right now, he's the, the colossus of the New Mutants. He is. He feels things most strongly, and he, uh, he does not waste time trying to hide emotions. Yeah. If he is thinking it, he is saying it. That's a little unlike Colossus, though. I suppose I was wrong in that assessment. I just um, think the well, amount of crap that they've been through leading yeah, up to this. Yeah, and the the depth of feeling, I think, with yes. the two of them. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And my cut to Ipanema. Yes! Which, of course, means that we're going to have to use the opening music of Girl from Ipanema. Probably. Then we'll forget that. No oh. edits. Oh. <laughs> You don't really have to do that, Jerry. I think we should. Okay. So Amara and Danny at the beach. Amara is obviously ridiculously homesick, which I can completely understand, especially given the circumstances that, like, all... Not only is, like, being a mutant foreign to her, but uh, everything about everything is foreign to her right now because of where she was. So she has some flashbacks to her hanging out with her father, which explains why she came to Xavier's because she didn't want to do that, but she's getting into an argument, and as the argument gets more and more heated, she actually pulls lava up from the ground, and it shoots through the floor, and then she's like, whoa, damn. Yeah. Should probably go to see that Xavier guy. <laughs> right. Claremont is... I, I think this is, um, this is a place where you could get that argument about Claremont beating you over the head about stuff. He's really driving home that she feels unsafe about the right. powers. Like she doesn't have control over them, and the second she gets upset, she starts erupting magma from the Earth's core. Yeah. So that for the next issue and a half, that's kind of the theme. Yeah. Um, some creep. On, some creep on the beach goes and grabs her and plants a kiss on her, so she erupts some lava out of the ground there. Apparently that's how they roll in South America. Yeah, it's a whole volcano that she pulls out of the ground. Yeah, and not a little science fair one either. This is a big one. And then, uh... Good story, Jerry. As that's, Shut up. As that's happening, <laughs> um, Rain goes into a church, and I loved this whole sequence. This surprised me, because... I think I my memory of her was that she was Catholic, which was stupid because there aren't a ton of Catholics in the UK, and um, the whole thing is that. Well, do you want to talk about? It? I mean, you loved it. You talked. Well, I mean, she doesn't want to. Obviously, like she, she explains in her thought bubbles that that her Reverend Keg um, thought that Catholics were agents of the devil. Um, I like this guy. Yeah. Said the Catholic. And Rain's Scots <laughs> Presbyterian. But what I liked about the sequence is obviously, like, she's going in there and praying about how conflicted she is with her power, the fact that she, um, you know, feels more comfortable in her wolf-like form, like, what is this doing to her? And I just 
I've always loved the way that Claremont handled religion. Like, I always... I mean, just, like, the way that she's... You, I just feel like nowadays you would not ever get the story because it would immediately like, oh, we can't do that because it'll offend. It's just I, I liked the fact that he went for it and the fact of like, the you just, it's nice to see like the struggle that Rain has going on. It makes her character really interesting to me. Just this like, because there were points in my life like particularly after my mom died where I had a real crisis of faith because my dad was doing some things that like I could not agree with Mm -hmm. but at the same time I was being ridiculously judgmental of how he was acting post her death Mm -hmm. you know so it it caused this turmoil in me because here I am like not supposed I've been taught my entire life not to judge Mm -hmm. and then here I am with this like super I mean I was a kid you know so it's like I, I actually really identify like Rain right now is probably my favorite because I understand uh, as the kids would say, the struggle that she's uh, going through right now. And I feel bad because in this scene she's talking about the fact that like maybe the other kids don't like her and maybe they only need her because of her wolfsbane and her tracking thing. And like right as she's praying that, like that very thought, Sam busts in and he's like, I've been looking all over for you, Rain. Come fast, we've got big trouble. Like he basically needs her for her powers. Uh-huh. And it just sucks because it's like I know that in that state she's probably looking for anything as some type of sign from god as to how she should go and here comes the boy that she has a crush on who's ignoring her who only wants her around right now because of her powers which is only sinking her deeper into this little hole that she's got so i don't know volcanoes and whatnot are cool but i dig the uh (laughs) religious drama going on that took up one page and jerry's like (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I I could see a lot of people being completely irritated by rain. Right. Just because the the whole wringing of hands at all times. I've been there, though. But, like. Yeah, well, so have I. I mean, I completely sympathize with her. And um, she's a favorite of mine, too. Yeah. I mean, the religious thing doesn't really right. concern me as much, but... Um, I could see how I know, being I found, raised that way. I found some things out about Jerry tonight that are going to change our relationship forever. <laughs> but I mean, I I grew up in a religious family. And... I'll save you. Don't worry. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, he's touched me. I'm saved. Um. Yeah, I I related to Rain. You like this the Scots thing. Yeah, I mean, she was the full package. She beat herself up. You probably beat yourself up. What kid doesn't beat themselves up? Oh, my up? God. What, you know? What self-respecting adult of 40 does not beat themselves up? It's true. Every opportunity. So then... Uh, you ever do the thing where you are just, like, in a room full of people and you remember something stupid you did and you're like, fuck. And people uh, are like... <laughs> every day when I leave a room, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that's why i eventually stopped drinking because the next day after drinking was just me making a bunch of apologetic phone calls right right that's what this podcast is sorry i stole your car (laughs) sorry i burned your house down yeah oh Um, left eye lopez on us oh man so uh 
Cut back to Amara. She's pulling her best uh, June from Betty and June. Nice. 20-year-olds are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the end music of this is now going to be, I'm going to be 500 miles by the <laughs> Proclaimers. <laughs> um, she gets caught up in traffic. She's having heat stroke. All the cars are honking at her. You have to understand, like, she's never dealt with any cars. Like, this is all freaking her out. A nice policeman. I love this scene. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> So she, so the she cop comes she's over. like stuck in traffic. She's right. standing in the middle of the street, like some hick, which she is. She's a South American hick, but she's a hick. And the cop comes up and he's like, "Oh, young pretty lady, are you right. having trouble?" But but in um, Portuguese, and he's like, "I'll I'll help you. Let me help you. All you people, stop honking at her." And she in English, she's like. I don't understand a word you're saying right now. And he's like, oh, foreigner, you must be on drugs. Let me take you to the station and arrest you. <laughs> I love it. This is... This happened to Claremont on spring break, clearly. <laughs> this is his venting his Heather, frustration. If you ever interview Claremont, I just want you to know that my first question is going to be about whether or not he was involved in the swinging lifestyle. You don't even have to ask. I know it. You do not. I want to delve deeper. I want. I want to be like. I don't want to talk about Phoenix. I just want to talk about some parties that you. (laughs) (laughs) So she starts to struggle with the uh, policia, Mm -hmm. and erupts a volcano, which blows a truck sky high. And she's just man. Volcanoes are coming up out of nowhere. And so the new mutants have asked Rain to changed to wolf form to track Amara and <laughs> she's doing her work and um, I'm skipping around a little bit here but while she's while they stop for a second Sam pats Rain on the head like a oh, dog yeah. <laughs> oh my god Rain does not appreciate that no. um, so for all of you who are dating a half werewolf never pat her on the head it's a terrible idea um but in the meantime, Amara has, like, collapsed from using her powers. She's exhausted. And these shadowy figures come upon her. And they're like, let's take her. Which is never good. Right. Except in this case. It ends up being good because there are a bunch of little boys that take her home to their mama or whoever it is. Teacher or somebody in the shanty town down the street. And um, they put ice all over her. After the New Mutants find them, they're like, get some ice. And they're like, we're poor. We don't have ice. It's hot down here. <laughs> they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're poor. But get some ice. And they find some ice. They steal an ice truck. Which Is that I what was... they do? They steal an ice truck? Yeah. Oh, shit. Cannibal uh, blasts Sunspot. And then Sunspot, using his strength, lifts an entire ice truck. And oh, flies yes. away with it. <laughs> He's got it held out by one arm well. Well, Sam blasts them both back. Yep, and as they're fly, as they're blasting, he's like, "Oh man!" Like they notice that there's a volcano coming up from Rio Harbor. Yeah. So Amara, in her um, newfound powers, makes an island mm-hmm. in the middle of the bay. Um, but at the end of the issue, um, she decides she will return to Westchester with the New Mutants and meet Charles Xavier. Awesome. 
And that's the end of issue 12, which brings us to issue 13. Oh man, I was pretty pumped up when we read this, Jerry. Because there's a character that throughout my entire life has been nothing but a punchline. And I want to fall in love with that character like any kid from the 80s. And this yes. is my chance. D- I can't wait to hear if you did. But before we delve into this issue, there are people like L.A. Rabbit, one of our listeners and pals, and incessant complainers who would want us to take note of the fact that the cover of issue 13 is by Brett Blevins. And this is Brett Blevins' first New Mutants cover. It is his first mutant cover. Next month, one month from now, we failed to mention that while these four issues that we're going to talk about today are going on, the Magic miniseries that we talked about in episode 20 is also being published. So, starting with issue 11 all the way through issue 14, which we're going to talk about next, uh, is the Magic Miniseries. And issue 4 of the Magic Miniseries, published next month, is one of my favorite covers of all time and the best thing Brett Blevins ever did. Jerry loves that cover. He was complaining about not being able to own the original art. I wish I could. I wish I could see it. I've still never even seen it. Whoever owns it is a selfish bastard. Yeah. Or bitch. I don't know. It could be a woman. What's the female version of bastard? This is still bastard? You just say, you bastard? This is one of those, like, you say something on Sports Center, and then the other guy just sits there silently, allowing you to revel in the moment. Okay. <laughs> well, fuck you, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Uh, the usual team is involved in creating this comic. Oh, I wanted to mention before we get into it, this issue came out the same month as Micronauts number 57, which is the penultimate issue of Micronauts and my favorite Micronauts issue ever. We're never going to get to talk about it on this podcast, but it was, uh, it was awesome. Maybe one day we'll just start the pod. Yeah. Or we can talk about other books that we might have read. Maybe. The pod. You know what? No. You know what I've learned throughout this? I only like the X-Men. That's cool. I like the Micronauts. And the you would like issue 57. All right. It's sweet. I'll find it. Uh, but this is also the same month that X-Men Micronauts number three came out. So at some point we got to talk about that. It's going to happen soon. I'm going to get my introduction to every other Micronaut other than Bug. Yes. Bug is probably the only one I know because of Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's why I'm saying that. Right. He's probably the best next to a Croyer anyway. We'll so, see. I'm allowing myself to make those decisions on my own. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But this was published in March 1984, or at least that's what it says. And Sean Pigeon was three years old. And was about to be treated to the last of the Detroit Tigers World Series victories. Cheers, Tigers. And cheers, Dave Bergman, who just died of bile duct cancer. The old hide-the-ball trick. He was my dude. He was my dude. 20-year-olds are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You ever see the video of him slapping the dude in the head with the... (laughs) No. Oh, my God. He he got... What is it? Ozzy Guillen? Awesome. He got him twice. Good. I hate that dude. Okay. 
So Guillen goes to slide into the bag. He's touching it, and he throws the ball, but he doesn't throw out the ball. He puts it back in there, and when Guillen takes his hands off the bag, he whacks him in the helmet. It's fucking hilarious, dude. <laughs> like, hard. Like, the second he's just, wham! And, like, Guillen's like... Why do you the, do that to me? That was the second time he got him. Nice. How stupid would you feel? Yeah. Well, as again, is stupid. So there. Uh, so this issue is entitled School Daisies. And uh, spell that. Good luck. Um, and this is before the days of any of those fast time at Ridgemont High. and Wait. Maybe that did come out before this. That did come out before this. So Amara is brought to the X Mansion and introduced to Professor X. And um, <laughs> it's funny because he's like, welcome to my school. And I'm like, as I read that, I was like, this guy is such an arrogant dick. Right. And I'm like, wait, no, it really is his school. Sure, it was all paid for by Angel's money <laughs> after they've blown it up twice. But it is his school, so props, Professor X. Um, something that I'd like to do uh, is actually go back and listen to every single one of these episodes and find out a moment where, I, like, I would like to keep a go, like a rolling tally of how many times Xavier has said the phrase, I don't enter another person's mind, right. and then immediately it follows it up <laughs> by fucking doing exactly that. But just, a li- just the tip. Yeah. Just the tip of the mind. I don't like to use my powers to influence people or enter their minds without their consent. But hey, you were thinking about your bedroom. Right. And here it is, in exact detail. <laughs> right, so Professor X is taking Amara on a tour of the school, and he explains to her that he's she... Like, he's asshole Oprah. He's like, what's behind curtain number two? <laughs> it's your bedroom! He's made an exact replica of Amara's palatial bedroom back in Nova Roma. Meanwhile, the rest of the New Mutants are in Wolverine's old bedroom that smells like sweat socks and ass. <laughs> and they're they're probably tripled up in their bunks and she's got right? this... Oh, she sucks. I know, and then she looks... Professor, are none of my thoughts to be secret or sacred? That's what size like myself above all else, Amara, is... Oh, fuck. That which sighs like myself prize above all else, Amara, is privacy. Your mind is your own. I will not pry. Again. Again. <laughs> Except later when he decides he's yeah. going to make a, a, like a, a silink with her so that he can keep tabs on her and make sure that she's not losing control of her power. Yeah, like which is we, a good idea, Sean. It is, but I like how he's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to Whoa. I feel a disturbance in the force. I think she's getting emotional. I think I'll enter her mind and calm her down. We should be glad that all he's entering is her mind. (laughs) She's a teenager, Sean. So, yeah. So they have Um, a barbecue? Right. So she's freaking out because she finds out he's a telepath and she's like, mind reader, that's freaky. Where's her maid? She doesn't know where her maid is. That's freaky. What's electricity? I don't know what that is. This is all crazy. And they have a barbecue. She doesn't know what a barbecue is either, Sean. Right. Danny's grilling burgers and hot dogs. And Amara shows up in her mom's best dress. Her dead mom's best dress. And oh, Sean, 
This next page is Gerald McDade in all his glory. Oh my god. Sam comes blasted along with a big old wooden crate, old fashioned wooden crate of Moxie soda, which is an old school soda that I've never had. Sean, have you ever had Moxie? Oh my god, why didn't we? I didn't even know it was like a thing. It's real. We should have. The word Moxie comes from this soda. We should have ordered some. Let's eBay that shit. Yeah, we'll have some we Moxie should. sodas. It's regional. I've never had it. It's like a New England thing. Anybody exciting. out there, if you've ever had Moxie, tell us yeah, quickly please. if it's terrible <laughs> before we buy yeah, before some. Before I order a case. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so Sam is bringing the drinks to the party and he sees Amara as he's blasting in. And he's like, oh, she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, of course, he's like, Amara, watch this. And he tries to do like a loop-de-loop or whatever, loses control, even though Professor X tells him, be careful. And he dumps the soda all over Amara's dead mom's dress. Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty pissed off about that, which of course, as expected, she starts unleashing volcanoes on the grounds. Right, she opens a chasm in the ground that Danny almost falls into. Right. And, and uh, But ca- she's glad that it happened because Bobby grabs her around the waist to save her. We, we, and Danny is digging on Bobby right now. She is. But the best part of this whole thing is the... Uh, the, the chasm that she creates catches a tree on fire. Right. And so Bobby just rips it out of the ground and he's like, I got this. <laughs> so that's another tree. Another tree. I made the note. Yes, another tree. And not only does it catch fire, not only does he tear it from the earth, but to add insult to injury, he throws it into the lake where it is left to drown. Poor tree. Who will speak for the trees? The Lorax. No Lorax here. If only the Lorax were a mutant. Somebody would do something about these poor trees. So I guess Bobby's fireproof. I suppose he is. Let's ignore It's comics. It's comics. Yeah. Whatever. So Amara runs off. She hates everyone now. Right. And now we cut to... Uh, a, a, a complex of the federal government's Project Wide Awake. Which I was excited to see this because as a youngster, it was men- Project Wide Awake was mentioned a lot, especially around like 95, 96 when they were gearing up for the Onslaught stuff. Uh-huh. And so it was cool to see like the very first mention of it. It was pretty exciting. This, this dates it's back also, all the way to issue two, I think, was the first time it was mentioned. When the Sentinels show up at the mall. Uh-huh. And, Henry uh, Peter Gyrick. Or Gyrich, I don't know what. what I always called it Gyrich because I think that was how they said it on the cartoon. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's the first appearance of Doctor Valerie Cooper. That's right, Valerie Cooper, yeah. future leader of X Factor. Yeah. She's the aide to presidential national security advisor, Judge Richard Petrie. And also, there is industrial billionaire Sebastian Shaw, secret mutant, leader of the Hellfire Club. Absorber of kinetic energy. Yes, that guy. So uh, sweet ponytail man, yeah. as I like to call him, Kevin Bacon. No, so. not Kevin Bacon. The dude from Jaws. Oh yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, so 
Gyrick and has been called in to check out the new Sentinels that that Shaw has built, and and uh, Shaw kind of pulls a <laughs> a Han Solo hitting the hyperdrive on his Millennium Falcon, and he's like, "Watch this." <laughs> 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 and of course, the sentinel goes haywire. <laughs> it destroys the building, and they have to hit the help just the self destruct on the sentinel, blowing up a five million dollar government asset in the process. And Gyrick is like, "What the fuck just <laughs> happened?" Guys, we'll tell you what happened because why read it for yourself? Am I right? <laughs> this ad. Sean, before we go there, this ad for the Zorcom spaceship, yeah. which is basically just a plastic tunnel. I wanted that thing so bad, never had it. Oh, I'm sorry. Doesn't that look cool? Look how happy that bold cut kid is. If anybody is listening and they want to get Jerry a present, get him the Zorcom spaceship tunnel tent. Please? Made of heavy-duty 270-pound tested fiberboard designed to withstand lots of vigorous play. Lots. Not. You we could, won't tell you, you how many could, hours. Just could, lots. You could bed the wife in that. I can like, and I will. Baby, want to take a trip to Zorcom? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call it. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> you show me your tunnel, I'll show you. Oh, no. So, whew. so um, it turns out that the saboteurs of the Sentinels were none other than Kitty Pride and her new pal making his first appearance in Marvel Comics, one young Doug Ramsey. A handsome little yeah. blonde-haired, blue-eyed lad. 1987 Morris. He is. He kind of is. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of Saved by the Bell. I don't know why you'd do that, but okay. Um, yeah, so um, he's not the limp noodle that he becomes later at this point. He's He's got some... There's some hope know. for him. Yeah. There's some hope for this kid. He's got some soft-wearing skills. He gets Peter Rasputin, Rasputin awfully worked up. He does, rightfully so, because Kitty is into hanging out with this Doug Ramsey dude and coding software and... Making hardware and oh, breaking into government sentinel programs, and smashing sentinels. I kind of get the feeling that Doug has no idea what they just did. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Thanks for helping me with my homework, Doug," and she's calling him pal. So Doug Ramsey is exactly three panels into his mutant existence, and oh, spoiler! And he's already entered the friend zone permanently. <laughs> <laughs> but only because he hasn't met Betsy Braddock yet. What? Spoilers, Jerry. God damn it. I have no knowledge of the future, Sean. So as uh, Kitty, of course, gets the, you know, something that Xavier's never going to do. The mental intrusion. Right. This Kitty, you're school. late for your dance class. Get home now. The you streetlights are on. And she's so worried about getting home as quickly as she can that she phases right through... God, Doug's family's yeah. house and walls and through the forest. And she runs into Amara. Who's crying and she says, leave me alone. And Kitty, in an unnatural move for her, actually stops and says, are you sure there's nothing I can do to help? 
I'm, I've stopped thinking about myself for now, and I want to know if there's anything I can do to help you with your problem, right. young mutant. But Amara's not having it, and she tells her, Fuck off already! So she storms off, because she's pretty pissed about that, and uh, she runs into the new mutants, and they do not treat her very nicely. No. Word's gotten out that she's been calling them the X-Babies, and this is pretty awkward for one Miss <laughs> Catherine Pride. <laughs> so, um, what do they say to her exactly? Because it's so good when they finally dismiss her permanently forever. Oh, it's, it's Bobby. It's, of course it's yeah, Bobby. It's, it's when Xavier calls for him and he's like, Get here now! Have you not been listening to me? The streetlights are on! <laughs> but this hot cocoa is gonna scald! You haven't eaten your dinner, you still have to do your goddamn homework, and you need to take a bath! Get home! <laughs> <laughs> I'm having flashbacks! If my parents have been able to astral project when I was a kid, I guarantee you were just like my little brother. <laughs> oh my god. Kid never came home on time. Can I show up for recording on time? You were on time today. I was. You were. Once out of 33 Holla. episodes. We got started late, but that's not your fault. No, but then Kitty Blaster with the... Everybody's, everybody piped down, Kitty may be a pain, but I wouldn't want to be in her shoes for the world. She's going to get her ass reamed out by Professor Xavier. And not in a way that she would like, but in a edit. <laughs> 58 minutes. <laughs> oh my god. So, Xavier explains that he's happy that she's made a friend outside of the school and the X-Men, especially someone age-appropriate for her. He's happy that she's doing her homework. And he legitimately is. He is, but then, god damn it, Kitty. Quit calling them ex-babies. Maybe you should set an example. Be a leader. Instead of thinking you're better than them. And not only that, more importantly, um, so it should be pointed out, she is a probationary member of the X-Men. That was made very clear to her about ten issues ago. After she begged and begged and begged to be part of the X-Men, part of that is training to, to use your powers so that you don't get your whole team killed. Right. And she's missed multiple training sessions fucking around with this new pal of hers hacking into the government systems professor x isn't having it he's the dad you will come home you will do your workout you will dance with with stevie hunter yeah there's i don't think i would stevie wonder i don't think i would have cut it as an x-men there's a lot of rules there are like i would like the space gallivanting but when he was like you all all of you have to take dance classes be like, whoa. So then there's kind of some exposition um, on Professor X's part through the use of thought bubbles. Yeah. And he kind of is laying out the status quo for the reader. Um, and he mentions um, that Kitty is Ilyana's best friend and maybe Ilyana can help sort this out for her, you know, and get her back in the right state of mind. So making that connection, he's talking about uh, Rain and Bobby as we mentioned in that New Mutants Annual number 6, talked about how they were experimented on like Cloak and Dagger were. And he's like, I wonder if anything will happen with that. Just to keep that on the back burner a little bit, because that's how Claremont does. And he talks about Amara's situation, and he talks about Lalandra just reminding you that he's got 
this woman he's in love with that's an alien from another planet and she's left and then he's hit by another one of these scanning waves which we haven't mentioned yet this is the first time we're mentioning it but he gets this brain blast from some alien source he can't identify and it's excruciatingly painful yep so uh, the next thing we see is I got to get through this. I love this issue, guys, and I recommend it. But we are on a time frame here. So um, the New Mutants are in a computer class, and uh, they're all struggling except for Bobby because they all come from Sam. Oh no, Bobby! Bobby's the one that's good at it because oh, okay. he's rich and he had a computer. And this mm-hmm. is 1982, and nobody did. Um, so. Everybody else is like, fuck. And Sam is thinking to himself, I'm an idiot. I'm never going to get this. And Professor X is basically like, play it cool. I'm about to give you all the answers inside your head. And Sam's like, all right, I like this. This is good. And now for the saddest part of the whole book, um, Rain is going through the same problems. And she's thinking about how Amara is so pretty and she doesn't know anything about computers either, but she's catching on way faster than Rain. And she says to herself, it's time I face facts. I'm as stupid as I am ugly. A thought that I had every day as a teenager. Something that I can really relate to. Uh, And Professor X, instead of saying, you're not stupid, Jerry. You're not stupid and you're not ugly. And I'm going to give you all the answers too. He just says, to himself, the telepath, says to himself because it'd be weird if he told the teenager that she was pretty right right but uh he says oh you that's not it at all why does she think that way if only she knew that she's beautiful and smart but he didn't tell her so how the fuck is she gonna know that so missed opportunity for the professor there right but heartbreaking Right? We agree on that. We've yes. talked about oh, this. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, the way that, like, seriously, I think the character that I connect most to out of this whole thing right now is Rain. Yeah. Like she's, I think, yeah. She's just completely uncomfortable. She's uncomfortable with her powers, even though they're the thing that she loves most about her life. She She's weirded out by her body. She's got religion issues. She's in love with a guy that's ignoring her. She's in a completely different country even though they speak the same language it's like a completely different world she's in this giant mansion i'm sure she's not used to that she's a complete fish out of water so they go to to dance class next and she's finally letting go of all that and um she lets go of it so much that she kind of loses where she is and she changes into her wolf form yep and of course her love sam tears her a new one over it so uh, he's probably still embarrassed about dumping soda all over Amara. Right. Uh, and are we in the Midwest? I just said soda. That's not right. Pop. Damn it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So there's all this awkwardness and you it's characterization. You Like you're delving into what everybody's, what makes everybody tick and what their worries are. And then in the end, Amara has decided this place is too weird. I got to get out of here. This isn't where I belong. I'm going back to Nova Roma. And she's, uh, because she's had this danger room experience, her first danger room experience, where she confronts Professor X about probing her brain again. And she storms out of there. And But later, she's walking through the mansion, and she 
probes Professor X's brain, sort of. She eavesdrops on a conversation, a holographic conversation he's having with Lalandra, and he finds out, she finds out that he's in love with this woman in another gal, or at the other end of the galaxy, and, and, um, she kind of relates to that, and she's like, wow, I see what you're going through, and I'm going through stuff, and you remind me of my dad so much, and I trust you, and I'm gonna stay here. Awesome. And now the number of New Mutants is five again. Yay! Yay! But only for one issue, Sean, because in issue 14, we get a new member of the team, sort of. We're not there yet, though. Oh, we waiting on that? Do we need to? I thought we were going in order. Well, how do they mix in together? Like, can, does, does is there stuff that happens in here that matters for that? I can't think of it. Kitty anything. shows up in this. Yeah. And they've been off doing this shit. And so they're, like, absent during this. Okay. Well, it's gonna... Okay, we'll, so we'll do this one and then start the next episode, you think? Sure. Okay. Edit at 105. I mean, do you think, or should we do the, the New Mutants 14 and then call it? You think you want to get going after that? Well, no, I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, are we going to be able to get through five issues? Or are we going to have to move some of this into the other episode? Well, we're going to do one more for this issue and then to the other four. I don't care which one we do. You want to do the X-Men? We can do the I don't X-Men. care. Let's do the X-Men. Everybody gets a little taste of X-Men. And that one will be fast, too. So we're doing the X-Men one? Yes. Okay. All right, so the last issue, we're going to give you a little taste of... Uncanny X-Men, and we're going to do that with Uncanny X-Men number 176. X-Men! This is John Romita Jr.'s first issue, and it is inked by Bob Wyacek, a carryover from the Paul Smith issues and the end of the um, uh, Dave Cockrum run as well. So he's been on the book for a long time, and you would think that that would give the book a similar feel, but I feel like Wyacek's style here is so different from what he did with Paul Smith. Yeah. And to me, I think he's a bad fit for Romita Jr. Don't like the look of this book too much. I'm sorry. What do you think? Uh, Am I crazy? I mean, it's a little bit jarring to come from, you know, gorgeous Paul Smith stuff to... You know, this is John Romita, but but frankly, with the the books that John Romita's been, no offense, I, I do love the man's art, but his uh, output of late has not been that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is actually like what I would consider good Romita, or at least you can see like you can see glimpses of what he'll become, uh-huh. but you'll also see glimpses of what he'll become when he doesn't give a hundred percent. Right. Yeah, man. I don't know. I I haven't heard enough of him talking about his art. This is going to be a, a recurring theme, I think, the the art on the book during his run. Because reading ahead a little bit, I do still like the book yeah. with him on it. I know uh, Steve Raker was really hard on his art, and I don't think it deserves that. No, I really like John Romita Jr. 
I mean, I, I always have. And, and one of your <laughs> favorite moments ever was a Ramita. Yeah. And, and two, the other thing is, is like, I grew up with a totally different Ramita than you did. I you grew sure? up with square head Ramita, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, yeah. and you grew up with a little bit more of a fluid Ramita. So this uh-huh. is kind of jarring for me just because it's not what I'm used to, but I still think it's good. You can just tell that it's younger him, yeah. you know? So it's wh- weird. Cause like, I think this is the first time in my life where I look at artists the same way that I kind of like look at singers and bands mm-hmm. where like eventually like their voice is going to change and it's not going to be, you know, right. The same. Yeah. And it's the same thing with artists. Like eventually like over time, like I don't think that Paul Smith stuff later on in X-Men when he comes back looks anywhere near like what we just covered, mm-hmm. you know, it's very different. It's, and I don't know if it's, it's... It's a lot slicker looking, I think. I don't know if it's, like, paper, if it's the paper quality. You know, like, if all that stuff, like, factors into it. I don't know. The mm-hmm. way that it's printed, the way that it's done, who knows. I don't want to know too much about how the <laughs> sausage is made, because it changes things. So, so um, there is... This is... I should mention the cover of this issue, 176. This is... It's... um. Cyclops uh, being wrapped in some kind of octopus tentacles or something. And he's underwater, bubbles coming out of his mouth, and he's unleashing an optic blast that smashes the X-Men logo. Yep. Pretty sweet. And I don't know if you noticed at the end of the issue, they publish a letter from Jim Shooter to Luis Jones where he's bitching about the fact that he had the X-Men logo being smashed and he's like which isn't the first time anybody's done that it's not a big deal but why doesn't he have it hitting the octopus or hitting you know why is it shooting the logo it's so classic hands on stifling Jim Shooter and hopefully an, an attempt to embarrass him by Louise Jones by publishing the letter. Hopefully it's not Shooter's idea thinking that letter was funny because if I was Ramita, I would be really insulted. Yeah. It would be like my worst nightmare. So there's a story behind that cover. I'm glad they published it the way they did. There are a couple um, layout, other layout choices that were with that that letter that they published with the letter and they were cool too, but there's nothing wrong with the cover he did. So this story is um, Scott and Maddie who are on their honeymoon and they're flying to Bora Gora because I guess Bora Bora must be trademarked or something. They've got to invent a make-believe place. Is Bora Gora a real place? I guess I should have Googled it. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the fact that they're, they're flying along and then all of a sudden it cuts to later. And you're like, oh, those two got it on. They did. They working out that autopilot. They were? Yeah. Yeah, and they've got those smug little looks on their faces. I think I could, I don't think I, I'm terrified of flying, so there's no way I could put it on autopilot and hope to get the job done to a satisfactory level. I can promise you, Sean, it would not be a problem for me. <laughs> yay so scott is uh um you know guys think about stuff after things happen sometimes and he's thinking about whether or not he's going to take his dad's offer up to join the the star jammers yeah which could potentially mean leaving maddie the woman he just married if she decides she doesn't want to go along 
But she doesn't seem, seem bothered by that, which, I don't know, I guess that means she would plan to go with them, huh? Yeah. When the plane gets struck by lightning. And there is another plane crash. Scott Summers goes down in another plane. Yep. Well, so does Maddie now. Maddie goes down Come in on. another they're, plane. They're made for each other. They were. They really were. And uh, we get an ad for Monchichis in the ABC <sighs> Saturday had to cartoon special. To that god-awful Pac-Man cartoon that I ate up because I loved Pac-Man as a kid. This ABC Saturday lineup is the worst of all time. You got Menudo, you got a Rubik's Cube cartoon, Sean. Yeah. How is that possible? What is the world that we live in? Fucking Scrappy-Doo. Scrappy-Doo can eat a dick. That's what he can do. He can. Uh, So then we cut to, what is that? Agarashima? Yes. In the land of Japan. Yep. And uh, this is the home of Lady Mariko and her clan, Yoshida. Right. All of a sudden, she's lying in bed, gets a sword dropped on her. She's startled awake, and she says, Wolverine. And he's given her back the honor blade. Again. Right? He's already she's... given it back once, and she had people deliver it back to him. No, you take the blade. Right. And he says, Lady, I don't want your blade it's yours. And she said, no, I gave it to you. It belongs to you. And he says, well, then so do you, lady. And she's crying. And he says, look, after that whole mastermind thing, which we talked about in our last episode, after that whole mastermind thing, Professor X fixed your your brain. He undid all that crap that mastermind did to you. Everything is exactly like it was before where we loved each other and we were going to get married. And she's like, it's not all the same. Because uh, my father did terrible things as the head of Clan Yoshida. She has to earn back her family's honor before she can proceed with Wolverine. And for some reason she has to do it without him. Which is totally lame. Yep. And frustrating. And in a lot of ways she's just like him because of that. Made for each other, man. Yes. So then we cut to the plane. Cyclops is sitting in the water, all uh, Captain Sully-like. <laughs> was that his name? I think it was Sully. Uh, oh, no, i got to edit this. Or is it Captain Scully? No, it's Sully. No, dude, it's Sully. Trust me. You don't okay. have to edit shit. Well, I'm going to edit this out. Where okay. And he's wrenching on the plane like he does. Mm -hmm. That plane is broke. And dude slips while trying to give Maddie a kiss and almost is swallowed whole by a shark. Right. Um, This book almost literally jumped the shark (laughs) in this moment. He shoots it with an optic blast. Chases it away and the shark thinks the worst thing that's going to happen to it today has just happened. And then it's wrapped up by some purple tentacles that drag it into the abyss. Yep. What could drag a shark into the abyss? This is not good. Then we cut to Washington. Guy Rick is showing up to a meeting, but it already started without him, which is always frustrating and embarrassing. Be on time, Guy Rick. 
I mean, Sean. No, I mean, sometimes I'm sent to meetings that have been in process for four hours, and I show up, and everybody goes, oh, we've been waiting for you. Oh, we've got a bunch of questions Sean. for and, you. And you're all, see, what what had happened? I was, there was... Dude, it's the best story ever, because my boss told me I got sent to this meeting. When I get there, all these people have questions for me. And my boss was like, don't worry, I'll be there, I'll answer the questions. And as I'm sitting there, I've got a new manager next to me, and he leans over and he goes, it's my first week, man, I don't know anything, it's all up to you. (laughs) And I get a page from my boss, and she's like, I ain't gonna be there. So every time somebody asks me a question, I just said... I'm going to have to check with Tom and get back to you. And I was just making up names. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well that has done. been my entire ten years in the hospital. It's just me, like, shifting things around. So good. Oh, so let's knock the rest of this out. Yep. So uh, there's a meeting. All the same players that were there for the Sentinel test are there. Um Judge Petrie's there this time. Petri, or however you want to say it. This is a Project Wide Awake thing. And Val Cooper basically lays out the problem. The problem is, we're concerned about super. We're concerned about Magneto. Magneto could pretty much take over the world if he wanted to. We don't even know if the Avengers could stop him if they tried. And not only that, we think the Avengers could take over the world if they wanted to. And I don't think there's a thing we could do about it. Add to that, we've got all these X-Men. Who are these guys? Right. They're mutants. That's who they are. And there's more mutants every day. It's not like there's some weird lab, one-time lab experiment that created these guys. They're coming out of the woodwork. And not just in America, everybody. They're showing up in the Soviet Union. They're showing up in China. And this is a problem. And we need to do something about it. Something needs to be done about the mutant problem. It's true. Doesn't sound too good. So I like the fact, though, it's it's a weird turn of events here because Gyrick's basically like, maybe we should just leave this alone for a little bit, guys. Right. And Val's the one who's like, no. Yeah, he basically says, you know how Magneto hates us and is afraid of us? You're kind of proving his point. I, I really like that aspect of the issue. Cause I've, I've, really unexpected coming yeah, from him. exactly. But he's a realist. I mean, I guess he, he sees the problem. Hmm. So uh, they, they cuts back to Scott and Madeline trying to get the plane up. They get one of the engines kind of turning, but it blows. They're just going through a bunch of problems here. And last panel of the page, you see one of the tentacles kind of stick up. And then it cuts to New York. Yeah. And you see, uh, it's talking about the Morlocks, and you see Caliban burst into his little space. And he's freaking out. Because Mask, Sunder, and Callisto are there. He's like, didn't you read the sign on my door? It says, do not enter. This is my room. Oh, and now you get the NBC Saturday cartoon lineup. This is, this is a lineup. Incredible Hulk. Mr. Mr. T, T cartoon. Alvin and the Chipmunks. Amazing Spider-Man. Dude, Thundar the Barbarian. Nuff said. Yeah. Alex Toth. Jack Kirby. What? So what winds up happening is uh, Mask, Sunder, and Callisto. They're basically saying, why did you let Kitty Pride punk you like the, the way you did? When we had her down here, you made her promise that she would stay here with you. And she left and she lied to you. Are you going to take that? 
Yeah. And they make fun of him for pining over it. It's actually a pretty brutal scene, yeah. I felt. I mean, Calis- Caliban's already an outcast in the real world, and he's escaped down here. He always struck me as being kind of separate from the Morlocks, like living with them, but right, but near them, not He's with them. Even an outsider amongst outsiders. Yeah, it sucks, man. It's because a real Jerry McDade story. It, it's true, so true. But I mean, he's he's a he's a monster on the outside, but he's, he's I've got always the loved heart him of because because my first introduction to him was like Uncanny X Men Annual Number Eighteen, which is like when him and Kitty have to like go back down to the Morlock tunnels together. So I got most of this told to me in, like, a flashback story. Uh-huh. And Caliban was always really kid-like. Yeah. And I just always felt for him. Like, I've always had a soft spot for him, even when he was me a too. horseman. Um, I was so bummed out when he became a horseman because it kind of, like, it undid everything I loved about him. Right. And it was cool because nobody could fuck with him anymore. But it was sad because he wasn't the sweet outsider that he always had been. Yeah. So they say, we're going to make balance the scales. Kitty's coming back. Yeah. Write it down. It's happening. Then we cut back to the trying to fix the plane in a rainstorm. And they get the engines going. They're a spinning. And Maddie goes to pull up the anchor and gets dragged down by the... Uh, Sea creature. It's tentacles. Glub. Cyclops jumps in, starts blasting the thing to holy hell. But he he loses his glasses. Of course he, he can't does. see without his glasses. Uh, so he frees them both and he climbs into the ship and he puts on his Cyclops gear, his his little hood. Yep. And uh, the plane starts. Yay! And they take off. That's pretty much it, right? Yeah, they take off, they're super pumped up about it, and at that moment, this he basically says, you know what, after that shit, I don't know, I'm over this stuff, I'm not going to go with my dad, I, I have you, I want to build a life with you, and they, they literally fly off into the sunset, and it says at the he beginning. He basically turns into a 62-year-old Danny Glover and says, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. I'm too old for this shit. The Murtaugh list. And that's it. It's a great one and done story, kind of. You know, it's, at least for it is not my favorite story. I'm not gonna lie. I liked it more this time around. I, I'm I'm because the thing that I'm trying to do the the one because I did a reread of just Uncanny and regular X Men a few years ago, not X Factor, Excalibur, New Mutants, like we're gonna do in the podcast. We have 15 minutes to do the other four books. Ain't gonna happen. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> One of the things that I love about doing this now, the way that we're doing it, is kind of allowing myself to, like, ignore the fact that I know the history that that's about to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I read my comics and I'm like, I know that there's going to be another one. So I kind of, like, don't live in the moment. And there's yeah. been a lot of, like, trying to focus... 100% of my attention on the issue that we're reading at hand and like really feel how the characters are feeling which you'll hear a lot more about in the next couple of issues but I mean you know when I reread this stuff the first time like I paid no attention to Madeline because I was just like I knew what happens I know what her story how it ends uh-huh. 
And since it wasn't, like, affecting anything that I was reading currently at that point, I just kind of, like, breezed through it. And now yeah. it's, like, it's this whole... It's a human being whose entire fucking life is just manipulated and, and destroyed to get back at another per Like, it's fucked up. Yeah. And it makes me feel really bad for it. Like, there's a part of me that wished they could have just flown off into the sunset. Yeah. And I don't understand why it didn't happen. I mean, they're literally flying off into the sunset. It's true. I and that was from my understanding, that was Claremont's intention all along. Yeah. And I don't know why they don't just leave it at that. Cause I think like and I know I'm gonna get old man crazy here. But I see a lot of people now that they're you know, let's skip ahead to the present and talk about Everybody knows about the Secret Wars announcement and what could or couldn't possibly happen. We don't know, so everybody's guessing. Um but I feel like lately one of the things that's kind of clicked in my head is, like, at this point in the book, like, Claremont loves these characters like they're his children. Mm-hmm. And it's only until later when, like, other people start coming in where it, it just, I don't know, there's, just, like, I just have a different feeling towards the Claremont stuff than I did even a year and a half ago. Like, I really feel like these are his babies. And then I kind of, like, am dreading reading the stuff that I grew up loving because I'm like, <laughs> I know that it's going to be different. I mean, at least I know when I say that, like, I, I really love Scott Lobdell's stuff. I mean, he had the second longest run yeah. of anybody. So at least I grew up in a time period where it was consistent. You know, it was like Nassizier and Lobdell writing pretty much everything and David. So, I mean, it's not like I had terrible writers, but there's something about... Claremont telling this story mm -hmm. doesn't feel like he's trying to sell me something seems like he wants me to buy in mm -hmm. you know but he's not I don't know I do love it yes I'm a little bummed that we can't tackle these next four issues well that was the plan but I guess we'll have to get back to it Goddamn time constraints um I before we leave, I just want to say that the stuff coming up, uh, this next issue that we're going to talk about is one that is burned so hard into my brain. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, man. Jerry has a tale to tell with the next issue. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's good stuff. Beginning to end. I love that issue. Um, but that is a story for another day. And should we just make it an official announcement that we are making a move. We're going to try to make a move. We're going to try to make a move where we're going to go weekly. You'll probably get slightly shorter episodes covering fewer issues. And you'll get them weekly. So there. Yeah. I hope everybody likes that. And as officially made today... Uh, we have new uh, a new avatar that Justin Peterson made for us. It's awesome. I it's love awesome. It. He's awesome. We really appreciate it. Shout out to him. You should buy his book, Very Near Mint. You should. And uh, I'm sad. I was sad to hear one of my buddies, uh, his uh, Kickstarter copy was lost in the mail by the UPS USPS. Uh, so USPS sucks. You all owe him an apology. You do. And I guess that's it, Sean. What else? I guess uh, it is. Follow us on Twitter at GXPod. Yes. Go to our Facebook group and join it. It's so small. It's not right. 
We need more people. We need more fun. We need more Dan Pua's in our life. Yep. Bringing awesome content to our Facebook group. Uh, go to our Tumblr at greatx-pectations.com. We're posting a bunch of original art from all these books that we've been talking about. It's good stuff. Check it out. And Go to your local comic book shop. Buy some New Mutants issues. Buy these Uncanny X-Men issues. And revel in nostalgia. Like everyone should. Yes. We you, love these books. We are think you, you will too. Four ninety nine for a poorly written Sam Humphreys Black Vortex book? You shouldn't. Oh, you, should you go just back. you just got the arched eyebrow, everybody. <laughs> you should go back, read some old Uncanny X Men, read some New Mutants, fall yeah. in love with Rain Sinclair. Join us, join us, and for God's sake, leave us an iTunes review. <laughs> 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 All right, that's it. Until next week. When I wake up, goodbye. Well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I heave yeah, I know I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be the man who's heavering to you But I would walk 500 miles And I would walk 500 more Just to be the man who walked a thousand miles To fall down at Shudor And I'm walking Yes, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who's working hard for you And the money comes in for the work I do I'll Almost every penny on to you When I come home I come Oh, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who comes back home to you And if I go Well, I know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the man who's going over you
This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!